today I was trying to figure out if I should go by topic by topic for either genre trappings or what exactly I think were the best shows pertaining per genre, whether it's slice of life, romance, drama, mecha, sci-fi, mystery, supernatural. It was kind of on the table, but considering that I would definitely need to have a better list ready, which at the time I don't. So at that, so afterwards, I'm probably just going to try and compile a list of that together so I'd be able to have a much better reference if I ever decide to make this uh, topics video come back live. But instead of that, I was listening to a couple of different classic or podcasts about a couple of classic shows regarding back into the mecha genres of the uh, late 70s and 80s, whether it's Yoshiki Tomino with the Mobile Gundam, uh, Mobile Gundam Suit franchise, and Reconquista and G with a lot of his new stuff, regardless of what the quality of that might be. But um, recently, I finally finished um, the Neon Genesis Evangelion Netflix release just yesterday. And before I had already seen it, I had found, I'd found a torrent online considering that when you're getting into the anime fandom, Neon Genesis Evangelion is always going to be popping up on somebody's recommendations lists, considering that it's an incredibly down-to-earth mecha series, not necessarily bombastic like would-be contemporaries like either Mobile Suit Gundam or Garen Lagan or Diebuster or any of those major sci-fi uh, mecha giants that essentially are faces of the medium. But instead, another side of that medium, which would definitely always come up in the sense of Neon Genesis Evangelion. So back, I can't remember if it was at the beginning of 2019 or at the end of 2018, where Netflix finally releases the fact that they had the international streaming rights to Evangelion, a show that was that has been out of print for more than 20 years, even though it is without a doubt one of the most influential and well-regarded shows of the medium and it has been out of print for more than 20 years. No, There has been no other legal way to view this show other than trying to get your hands on a several hundred dollar either box set or limited print that has been floating around the internet for the last two decades. You had, besides that, no other legal way to watch this show, even though it is widely regarded as one of the all-time greats of the medium, which of course me, who had already been torrenting for years at that time, knew that I had to get it off my list and see what exactly everybody else was talking about, um, I jumped immediately in. Now, at least a lot of people throw the term deconstruction around inside of this medium, which definitely goes through as a lot of people just trying to make it a little more notable that it is. I will admit that Madoka definitely acts as a deconstruction, but in the mid-2000s, early 2010s, a lot of people were essentially just throwing that around as a another like random reason for you to get this uh, to watch this random out of the way off the back roads show which in reality it wasn't really like that the themes were different more almost opposite at times but they it wasn't necessarily like taking the trappings of the medium or not the medium taking the trappings of the genre and twisting them into more interesting ways because at least growing up as a kid I had seen a handful of episodes of Sailor Moon and almost the entirety of Cardcaptor Sakura. Jumping off from Cardcaptor Sakura to Madoka Magica, that was quite the jump, in the sense that it grounds the aspect in the sense that, all right, so these girls are in middle school for Madoka. In Cardcaptor Sakura's case, it's elementary. So this is, I think they're like 10, 11 years old. 
And you are telling these children that you have unlocked a centuries-old magical power and you have to go around and seal it without causing as much damage to the city as possible. Because all of these magical entities that are running amok and spreading chaos through this town will eventually lead to deaths if you do not act quickly and accordingly and try and subdue the chaos as efficiently as possible. And you're telling all of this to a 10-year-old who barely has any notion of justice or responsibility, and you're immediately thrusting them all, you're thrusting upon them this challenge that they have to complete, not on their own, of course, but they're 10. Like, this is, this is something that you would throw to somebody who actually has some experience on the matter, be it 20s or 30s. This girl's 10. And so you're, and so of course, it was done by Clamp, it was a standard shoujo magical girl manga, like penned back in the 90s. And so, of course, it's going to be a lot more lighthearted and filled with romance and drama and fun times had by all. So that was definitely fine. And uh, Genrobuchi taking those trappings of the magical girl genre and actually formulating it into a legitimately tense, despair-filled, heartbreaking romp of a show was absolutely fantastic, and the fact that he had both the knowledge and the experience to write out a scenario as depressing as that was definitely akin to, you know, a lot of his great writing talents. A lot of people just, of course, the Oro Butcher. He kills people for sport inside of his own shows just to get shock value, when he actually crafts some of the most well-rounded and realistic characters that the medium has ever seen. Like through Madoka Magica, through Fate Zero, through one of his most recent bits with Thunderbolt Fantasy, even though that's more of just a hilarious puppet-oriented, you know, action series, which is so much better than it has any right to be. He has... Oh, Psychopaths. Sorry. Probably my favorite Genorobushi story with Psychopaths. Absolutely phenomenal in terms of a sci-fi, you know, cop thriller. This guy knows how to write. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Just because a lot of people die inside of his shows doesn't necessarily mean that he's just throwing it around for shock factor like a lot of edgy light novel and manga adaptations seem to be doing nowadays. Um, but getting back on tangent, so like Evangelion, for Madoka Magica, he takes these 14-year-old girls, and it's like, all right, same deal. I'm giving you these magical abilities. You have to go around and save as many people as possible from these witches that are going to run amok and cause chaos and eventually lead to deaths. You have to stop them. And just because they're 14 instead of 10, just because you're a teenager doesn't mean you have any more experience as from a grand aspect or outlook on the world. You have no fucking idea what you're doing. Madoka has no fucking idea what she's doing. And that's a good reason why she never decided to join up in the first place. Because unfortunately, her friend Sayaka actually has to jump in and believes that she can do a lot of good with the wish that she was granted in order to save the career of her crush, which was completely understandable. But the fact that she did this so much on a childish whim that as soon as she makes this wish, she'll fight a bunch of witches and everything's going to be hunky-dory and she goes and falls in love with a boy of her dreams... Of course, something that narrow-minded and naive would never come to fruition in the first place. And it never does. And it destroys her. And I'm going to cut at some point in time to just point out and say, alright, 
there, these are going to be spoilers for a lot of Gen Urobuchi and Gainax and Trigger shows. So I'm going to be spoiling a lot of the aspects of Madoka Magica, of Evangelion, of Garen Lagan, of a handful of Trigger shows like SSS Gridman, Kill to Kill, and Lulico. So just essentially, if you don't want to hear any stories or spoilers coming out of anything or of Urobuchi's work or Trigger's work, then I suggest to skip forward um, once I get through this. And honestly, I'm going to have to edit this as well, considering that, um, unfortunately, this is going to be a very spoiler-filled cast on these topics. So, unfortunately, I'm going to have to point out that unless you've seen the majority of these two groups of work, then I suggest coming back at a later time and enjoying it from that point on. So that being said... Now that, <laughs> so for Madoka, every single, like, of course, I, I can't remember the exact reason why it has to be middle-aged girls. I really don't know. I can't, I really can't remember why. Maybe it's just a purity of the heart and the power of the soul gem that comes from an adolescent girl or an adolescent child. I would definitely have to double check on that, but it's essentially a good story beat where these girls who are thrust into a lot of these magical girl scenarios have absolutely no fucking idea what they're doing. And if you, and taken from a realistic point of view, a lot of tragedy and disappointment and despair would happen. And the fact that Urobuchi was actually able to write that and trick nearly everybody going into this show, considering that the lead-up to Madoka Magica was, was so light-hearted in its advertising and its tie-ins and everything else, they hid Urobuchi's name from the staff list until episode 3 aired. And episode 3 was just such a fucking shock that afterwards when Urobuchi's name was released and the fact that, yes, I'm going to be the main writer of this series, nobody's going to be having fun anymore. And all I can say is good luck, which is honestly a fantastic PR move. In contrast, when they used his name to advertise Eldenoa Zero, you had, I can't remember who it was, Aoki, but they had... Um, Shit, I'm trying to remember the composer for Attack on Titan. Uh, Hiroyuki Sawano. You had Hiroyuki Sawano as the composer. You had Ganorobuchi as the writer doing an original mecha series as an intergalactic war between Earth and Mars. That shit picked up so much hype, you have no idea how excited I was for that show. And the first episode aired, and they dropped a nuke, and I was wholeheartedly invested. And then it kept on going. And then the main character got less and less interesting and then several weeks later it's revealed that Genorobuchi wrote the framework and another writer who was going to be the main screenplay and you know main force behind the show was somebody completely different and Genorobuchi just wrote the outline for episodes 1 to 12 and then the second season happened and it was the one of the most hilarious train wrecks I had ever seen leading up to that moment because it was just so audaciously stupid how the plot twist that led up after the end of the first season arose in the first episode following that it was laughably bad it was just so fucking hysterical what they decided to do with a lot of these characters I couldn't help but watch the rest of this train wreck just to see what they could do for the rest of this show it was hilariously bad in terms of a writing standpoint, I guess you could definitely say, considering that um, Hiroyuki Sawano soundtrack was phenomenal, 
I would definitely say that a lot of the animation was kind of like hit and miss, but it was still passable. It's just the writing, dude. Man, that, that writing drop was just so apparent. It was unfunny. Um, but in terms of better writers and better directors and getting back on track, just rewatching Evangelion after a good five years and going through and looking at a lot of the scenes that had just such a huge impact not only throughout the show but through the fandom as well it was still the same glorious despair ridden dis- not disappointment but um just uh it's like it's hard to put into words but of course I'm not well I don't think it's I don't think it's a masterpiece, but if you're talking about how much influence this show had over the medium, it can't be understated because the quality is still undeniable. The characters, the setups, the majority of the scenes that come out, I can definitely admit that it was such a troubled production and you could definitely see that sure a lot of the minute minute and a half freeze frames that they had laid out throughout the series had thematic and relational relevance to what was going on inside of the scene. But you could also definitely tell that this was just a really good excuse to just throw out, okay, we can literally hold on this frame for a whole 60 to 90 seconds, and it'll still be relevant, and will save us so much more extra time in this entire clusterfuck of production. Because the fact that Evangelion got made at all with Hideaki Anno's depression, with the shutting down of his previous uh, police force... Uh, I think, I think it was the, the Pat Labor movie that he was planning on that got cut partway through the production and everything just fell apart for him. Like, the fact that this show got made at all, or in spite of Anno's depression, was just, like, a miracle at that point. But then I would argue that if he wasn't in that kind of mindset, we wouldn't have a lot of the characters and a lot of the defining moments and themes that we would have had if he was going into the show trying to direct you know, a standard mecha. His depression was, without a doubt, an influencing factor on the show's overall point, and it would be lesser for it if Anno wasn't in the state of mind, which is a horrible thing to say, because you definitely don't want to force a man to go through that just to make a piece of art. But it was kind of just a culmination of all of these things coming together that made Evangelion so iconic and such a medium icon that it is still permeating through Japan's culture today. It, it can't be understated how great it was. Um, in terms of the Netflix, the dub was fine. I was really concerned jumping into the first episode where the first couple of lines Shinji was talking, I immediately thought, oh, that's, that's a woman in her mid-20s. That's, that's not Shinji. That's a woman in her mid-20s. And this is, <laughs> this is going to be fucking awkward. Although, by the end of the episode... I can't remember her name, but essentially when um, Shinji goes, like, really, when he's concerned, when he's angry, when he's distressed, she did a really good job conveying those feelings, which is, which happens a lot in this show. This show kicks the shit out of Shinji on a consistent episode-by-episode basis, that it is just absolutely tragic that anybody would think of this character as a whiny bitch in this scenario, because, like... This, like, in terms of deconstruction, just like it was in Madoka Magica, so a lot of these mecha shows that came out in the late 70s and the 80s and the early 90s leading up to Evangelion, 
was just we have this middle schooler, high schooler, early 20s dude who is who is, used to be a pilot, could have been an engineer, could have been a citizen that brought off the street, but now he has one of the greatest military weapons at his disposal and he wants to bring peace and everything is going to be fine and the war is bad and I will I will take the reins on this horrible conflict and bring it to a halt with the weapon that is Gundam, that is Macross, that is, you know, whatever show that they had. And these these children, most of the time, were just so confident in their abilities that they could kill somebody with their own hands and then be over it within a couple of days, or in this case, an episode. Like, that's... That was entirely unrealistic for the time. But a lot of it was just, ooh, cool, cool robots. Exactly same deal happens here. Shinji, a 14-year-old, who lost his mother when he was six, and his father abandoned him when he was seven, is brought back after seven years of isolation and turmoil and regret and pain, and is told out of the blue, you have to get in this robot, or everybody in this city's gonna die. Or in this case, this girl who has been forced to operate this is going to operate in your stead and is going to die in your place. So have fun with that little tidbit of knowledge. As you get inside of a robot, that's not only that's not going to hurt you due to oh the impact of the seat is making my back sore. No, you get stabbed in the arm, you get anything broken, you're going to be feeling that pain coursing throughout your entire body, as if you were the one who is going to be, or if as if you were the one that is being torn up on this battlefield. This robot is not going to be absorbing any shock for you. You're absorbing that shock in tandem with him. And the fact that Shinji gets back in the Aba at all after that first encounter with the third angel is just, like, ridiculous. Ridiculously, not uh, not confident, but is just ridiculously brave and, like, commendable and everything else. And then everybody just treats him like shit for the first three episodes. Where it's like, oh yeah, no, it's not like this kid is your only method of survival against these alien angel invading attacks that will destroy the entirety of the fucking city and the planet and cause third impact this global this global wide destructive event and you're just like oh if you ever disobey my orders again I will like I will kick you off this team it's like are you fucking kidding me with this shit you read his file you know the trauma he's been going through his entire life and you're still going to treat him like absolute fucking garbage, and you're still hoping to actually get yourself out of this predicament day after day, week after week. It's like, Jesus Christ, cut the kid some slack. Shinji is not a pussy. He is a traumatized child that has been thrown into the course of a battlefield where the weight of the world is resting on his shoulders. And I can't give him any sort of, like, negativity if you were throw if you if you throw anybody into that scenario, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and my entire sympathy and empathy that is like allowed for me to give. Like that is unbelievably conceited that Shinji is a pussy ever became like such a wildly known meme. Um But besides Shinji, nerve being turned into into like just jumping back into the final my final thoughts on Evangelion of the dub that Netflix put out. A lot a lot of other people have jumped into this and, like, gave their two cents where it's just like, okay, Kaoru is going to say he likes Shinji instead of loves Shinji, which really 
takes away from the impact of why Kaoru was there in the first place. Like, it was really... Like, there's a reason why he says love instead of like. And I really hope, like, this whole Christian bullshit doesn't really, like, get in the way. It's like, he didn't say love because he really likes Shinji and he really wants to, him to live and keep him safe. Like, he loves him because he is the only major connection that he has to the human race being the final angel that is essentially laying down a sentence on whether or not he wants the human race to live or perish. And the fact that he is able to love a human, any human at all, through all of their incongruencies and their complexities and their ignorance and their horrific acts, the fact that he's able to say he loves a human at all is fucking huge. And just putting it down to like, oh, I like you, Shinji, was just, it's, I don't know, like a very literal translation is essentially what everybody is pointing out. And yes, it is a, that's essentially all they did for the entirety of the Netflix uh, dub is that it was an incredibly literal translation. But the two pronunciations that I could never fucking wrap my head around was nerve, like an N-A-I-R-V-E, or just V. Like, where did that come from? Like, how did you get N-E-R-V and turn nerve into nerve? Like, I have no fucking idea. It was just so mind-boggling to me at the time, where it's like, wait a second. Like, what exactly are we doing here? Like, I I honestly have no idea why. Now, that's... I got used to it. I got used I got used to Shinji's voice. I got used to Nerve call, be calling Nerve. What I never got the hang of, or why they would do this in the first place, was the pronunciation of the Lance of Longinus to the Lance of Longinus. The Lance of Longinus. You, you could not pick a more laughable pronunciation for that title of one of the most destructive and imperative items inside the entire franchise and you called it Longinus you called it Longinus what exactly were you thinking when like how could somebody have that roll off the tongue and not like laugh or question them like is this really the pronunciation we're going for Longinus (laughs) it's just so fucking ridiculous that I just can't help but just repeat it over and over. It's like, why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you call it that? Like, Longinus. Just Longinus. Longinus would be fine. It is just this... It is. It rolls off the tongue really well. Longinus. The Lance of Longinus. Easy. Done. No. Long Longinus. Long fucking Ginus. That was my biggest just gripe with the entirety of the dub is just that one pronunciation because because I think it got introduced it must have been like episode 21 like 2021 but like holy shit long ginus I'm never gonna get over that (laughs) for as long as I live it's a fine dub it's a fine translation and it's I'm glad that we now have a universally and global of globally available method of watching one of the most important shows of the medium. But the fact, essentially Jeff from Other Space would put it best, the fact that the best way to consume this piece of media is from a DVD that's been out of print for more than 20 years and you can only purchase online for the small cost of several hundred dollars. Like, if that is the best way 
to consume this, then Netflix has failed, like, magnanimously. They had no, it's like, they had the money, but they had no idea what they had in their hands, so they just did literal translations across the board. And it was just incredibly, like, just disappointing how they couldn't have just done a bit more of a quality check to make sure that this dub actually would have been a lot better than it could have been. Um, so yeah, Gynax. Just, after releasing that, Gynax just fucking blew up. Hideakiano blew up. Like, thankfully in terms of popularity and not just the entire staff just self-destructed, which almost did afterwards due to episodes 25 and 26 of the initial run being so... Bare bones is a nice way to put it, or is just a simple way to put it. Oh, excuse me. Like, those episodes are just so... abstract and ridiculous as a ending to a series like that, where I could definitely see that 3D Ancast, the message that came from the 25th and 26th episodes is that you can still try... Even though, even though you're going to continuously hurt others, even though you'll never come to a full understanding, it is still worth it to try and understand not only just people, but yourself. And it is still possible through all the gripe, all the despair, all the regret, that you can still, at the end of the day, continue to attempt to communicate and continue to attempt to enjoy and love yourself. That is a fantastic theme to bring to this series and just to the medium as a whole but then a lot of it got misconstrued in just bad scheduling and bad production through those last two episodes that Anno consistently got death threats after those two episodes aired nobody had any fucking idea what he was thinking nobody had any idea like what to expect out of that and then two years later he drops End of Evangelion and if you want to ask me through animation and through movies and TV in general what the most fucked up television or movie episode I have ever seen Evangelion is End of Evangelion is going to take the cake for the most fucked up piece of media I have ever watched that will always be my reigning champion based on the events that happen in the beginning the fights that happen in the middle and the clusterfuck that is the end it is the most fucked up piece of media I have watched to date and I can't think of a better uh, piece of media to give that title to um, so I'm definitely not going to spoil the rest of that in terms of Evangelion but like you, you just have to see that you have to see that movie for yourself it is just so ridiculous and out there that if there was any show or movie that could be purely described as art, that would be it. So, after End of Evangelion, Gynax still was running through... They were running through the 90s. They were running through the end of the 90s. Um, in terms of... If, you, if I wanted to give a more light-hearted mecha story related around Hideaki Anno with his directorial debut... Gunbuster was just... Of course, thank you, Demolition D. If it weren't for you, I definitely wouldn't have given Evangelion a shot. I wouldn't have given Tatami Galaxy a shot. I wouldn't have given uh, Gunbuster and Diebuster a shot. Like, Demo, Daddy, <laughs> please come back to us. We all miss you. Although, 
due to his tumultuous relationship with YouTube, I completely understand if he would never make another video ever again. I just, I just want him to be related to anime in the future. With the rise of anti-tubers over the past decade, he would flourish inside this climate. But if he had, but if he was allowed to flourish within the confines of YouTube, he would still just let it be. Um, but in terms of Ano and his directorial debut, Gunbuster was just honestly fantastic. Like this, this show coming out in the '80s, and this is your first directorial outing. Like going from an animator to this, like like it was absolutely fantastic. And a lot, like the fact, the monster designs, the backgrounds, the mechas, just the gun, like the Gunbuster itself was just ridiculous. And beginning the long-running Gainax tradition of the Inazuma kick. With that being the initial starting point, man, it is so fucking iconic. It is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Diebuster was... So Gunbuster was honestly fantastic. Diebuster was a little... I found it a little less intriguing and enjoyable. But the opening, Groove and Magic, is without a doubt, like, one of my favorite opening pieces of all time. So I can definitely give it, like, the slack there that it deserves. Otherwise... Otherwise, I would definitely prefer uh, Gunbuster over Diebuster. Um, so leading, so instead, jumping from Mecha Gynax night early '90s to Mecha Gynax '80s now to Mecha Gynax in the 2000s, um, I can definitely say that uh, Tengen Top of Grand Lagan is definitely one of the most hype shows I have ever watched. And if you want to talk about, like, possibly the greatest 2D uh, mecha designs ever created, like, that's definitely going to be, like, running up there. Unfortunately, like, leading into it, I knew which characters are going to die by the end, like, due to, like, like fucking tragic compilation deaths on YouTube, because I had no really fucking bad filtering idea to figure out what I wanted to watch next. It's like, oh, yeah, no, just watch these, watch the top 10 couples, top 10 romances, top 10 action series, top 10 action moments, top 10 anime deaths. Watch Mojo. No, but seriously, I spoiled myself with way too much shit just trying to figure out stuff to watch, and Grand Lagan was one of them, but that didn't take away from the fact that the moments that hit, hit hard regardless, and just the, the, the 2D, the hand-drawn mechas were just absolutely phenomenal to look at. Like, if there is one thing that Gainax will forever hold, is probably having, like, some of the best mecha designs and shows, like, ever put to animation, without question. And it is, and was just absolutely phenomenal to watch all of these works. I just kind of wish that I was able to experience them in their heyday, rather than frantically search for them on the internet in the post-streaming age, and watching them become relics of the past. But the fact that we're still getting those old shows, the fact that Grand Lagon is still relevant, the fact that Evangelion just became more relevant than it's ever been in the 2010s, thanks to its release by Netflix, is definitely a good thing for me to see. And an overall plus, like, to the medium and to actually, like, get people into this. Like, it is now worldwide. It is global. Any, almost anybody can watch this show and experience it for the first time. And that's honestly all I could ever ask for. Having, like, having this being able to be legally streamed after being out of print for more than two decades, I'm definitely happy that that's the case. But if we're going to be jumping to um, more, not more relevant, but more modern and more recent mecha shows, I think I would have to jump from Gainax, not necessarily entire away from a lot of their staff, but leading into 
Studio Trigger. And Trigger is just a bundle of fun and without a doubt one of my favorite studios at the moment. Like, we're talking about work su- <laughs> we're talking about works such as Ninja Slayer the Animation and Inferno Cop, some of the greatest animation marvels to ever hit the screen. But in all seriousness, we're talking about, like, you've got Little Witch Academia, Kill a Kill, Space Patrol Luico, and the most recent mecha show that I have seen to date, which is SSSS Gridian. And I had, an, like, a couple of spoilers I had probably. I would definitely recommend going to see Gridman, like, without question, because it is honestly one of the one of the best, like, mecha and in a more traditional and more better comparison. One of the best tokusatsu adaptations ever seen, or in this case, for tokusatsu, I mean, like, Power Rangers, like, people, like, we're talking about classic people in suits fighting the standard monster of the week, like, uh, what, like, what do we got? We got Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, we've got Gridman, we've got... Um, Ultraman, like all of these classic tokusatsu stuff that's been brought over to the West over the past two decades is also just still a phenomenal like piece that I never necessarily got into. I definitely remember watching a handful of episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and thought, you know what, these acrobatics are cool. I like this. This is kind of, this is fun and entertaining for me to watch. So I definitely wasn't a huge fan of tokusatsu jumping into this, even though like everybody started like jumping into it because it was. That's, what the, that's where the inspiration came from. And to be honest, it was really one of the first times I had seen CG mechs look so in tune and so natural inside of the frame, considering that one of the best parts about Gridman is that they were able to like make CG look good, but because of how janky the models were and how they moved and swayed back and forth, they made it look like somebody was operating like a suit, a mechanized suit or a monster-sized suit, and like they were just doing this into the days of old like standard model setups and scenes that they were doing in the old tokusatsu shows. Like you would like you could you're watching this and it looks like somebody is actually inside the suit of Ultraman or sorry, Gridman, and also somebody who's inside the monster suit. And it was just so like genuine and passionate that I couldn't necessarily help but like feel how much like work and effort went into making these models look so not lifelike but animatronic like they did back in the like 80s and 90s so that was definitely like the first plus um what got me into it because I didn't jump into this show until seven weeks after its release after episode seven I was I read the Reddit threads and went through what exactly was making this so special because this started immediately getting gilded. Like, the animation style changed, the entire staff was, like, led over to this... I can't remember if he was Korean, but he had his team go through this entire episode and make it their own. And it was honestly probably the best episode of the show, without question, besides episode 12. But it was just so out there and so just not not influential but um it was just like so unique in that style that they would go on to like animate and direct the episode 8 from Mop Psycho season 2 or not not episode 8 whichever the dream sequence from uh, Mop Psycho season 2 like those two were the same teams and the quality that they're able to 
inject into their episodes with such what seems like such simplistic designs was absolutely phenomenal. Like, the way they were able to move, the pacing, the directing, the shot composition, everything was just so fucking on point. It was just, like, I had no idea what I was watching for the first couple of seconds. Like, I didn't realize that anime could, like, through this simple of organization and production and design could, like, could just be so good. Um, and so after that episode came out, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to move forward and I'm going to catch up and I'm going to go through this. And I went through and caught up to episode seven within two days. And I, without a doubt, I was hooked till the end of the series just to see where exactly it could go. And Trigger, without a doubt, like knocked this one out of the park for not being just a unique throwback to old tokusatsu shows and a loving, you know, caring piece of loving caring piece of letter a love letter to the content that it was emulating from it is without a doubt like a fantastic entry to that genre and into the tokusatsu realm in general and then jumping off to Trigger's earlier works as much as I as much as I'm like oh I'm memeing about the animation from Ninja Slayer and Inferno Cop I haven't seen either of those just clips the closest I've come to seeing an Inferno Cop episode was the was his cameo inside of uh Luluko. And Luluko is just... I would highly recommend if you were ever going to jump into this, because Luluko is just such an easy, like an easily consumable thing, considering that it's, I think it's like 12 five-minute episodes. It's 12 or 24 five-minute episodes. So it's really easy. But just watch the rest of their work. So like, just go back and like watch a couple of clips of Ninja Slayer and Inferno Cop. Watch a couple of clips of Little Witch Academia, of Kill the Kill, um of, ah, oh, what, what was it, sex violence and, sex violence and insanity, something, something along those lines, that was one of their um, shorter films, or one of the short films, like just, and then going back to it, knowing all of the content that it's just, like, taking inspiration from and going through is just so phenomenal to watch, like, I watched the last six episodes in a drunken super, and it was probably one of the most hype moments I had ever seen from, from a five-minute series, a five-minute-per-episode series, it was, it was so fantastic, like it I love I'm a huge guy for referential humor and just like seeing that kind of style go into an anime was just like a dream come true to me like going back and like rewarding you for for seeing all of their work and then jamming it into this like hour long just clown fiesta of a series was just absolutely uh it was a joy to watch Um, but in terms of anything else that I want to say, I don't necessarily, I would have to rewatch Kill a Kill to have my, to like get, have better thoughts on it. I thought it was a fun and entertaining show that got better in the second half. Um, but it's, but I haven't seen it since, you know, 2013. So it's been a good six years. And all I can say is that I was a fan of it. And the whole trigger saving anime meme was definitely garnered through that show in of itself with its popularity and its absolute zaniness. And, oh yeah, um, in terms of Little Witch Academia, Little Witch is probably my favorite, yeah, it's probably my favorite series that Trigger has done to date. Like, it's just so, it is so filled with this childlike wonder and joy and passion that you rarely get to see in a lot of shows nowadays. And considering the fact that just 
all of them, uh, let me just get through this. And the fact that uh, any of that was able to go through, like the just everything leading up to Little Witch with it being, because of the Anime Mirai you know, project and having that short film being funded to get its own second short film through everybody just supporting this new studio and, like, just condensing, like, all of the classic magical stuff that everybody, like, knew and loved as a kid, especially with me with Harry Potter. Like, that, like, it was just so wondrous to watch this show. And once again, thank you, Demolition D, for turning me towards Little Witch Academia and getting me into the show. But it was, like, uh, what did Zach say? It, it was basically just, this is the thesis statement of Trigger. Like, this kind of fun and joyous action and comedy and romance and everything rolled into one essentially what they could do the limits no the unlimited amount of things that you can do with animation just all brought into the forefront with this naive protagonist still Akko I don't necessarily I didn't enjoy her as a character considering that it's like she knows she's bad but it's she kind of tries to flaunt it, and nobody is going to like appreciate the fact that oh yeah no I that, yeah magic is easy. I just because I have a believing heart, magic is going to be easy for me to learn. It's like, honey, you're gonna you're gonna fall flat on your face so many times, and it's gonna hurt at some point. So just I really hope you're ready, because to me Diana was definitely a more interesting character, like based on her backstory and essentially like she's not the self-proclaimed stuck-up like pompous bitch that she was in the original short films you they actually gave her depth and like outside of being this you know really pompous came from a high noble family ice queen that's really good at magic they actually gave that she, they gave her so much more to work with and it definitely ended up working out in her favor like she was without my favorite character of the show much much better than Akko without question um but just the way things progress inside of Little Witch and how everything goes about, the references that they go through, a lot of the throwbacks to a lot of their classic shows, like they do they do the Gainax pose, they do the Inazuma kick, they throw in all of these classic references just like Luluko did, but the fact that this is what they loved to do, this is exactly what inspired them to take one of the worst career options that you could ever find inside of media, but still having the wherewithal to go in and actually aspire to create something as fun and rambunctious and hilarious and joyous and yeah, it was without a doubt like my favorite show, bar none. It's the like what they were able to do with that series. Um, like I'm running out of words here but just astounded me to no end and those 25 episodes like are just such a glorious sight to see not all 25 of course it's not perfect just because it's my favorite dyna or it's my favorite trigger show but it's just there's so much good to be had in this series and so much good to be had inside of Trigger's catalog that honestly if anybody was looking for a jump off point to get into why anime is such a special medium in the first place, I would have no qualms in giving Trigger uh, the title of that honor. Mm-hmm.